again, welcome to everyone. And um, I want to introduce our speaker for the weekend. Uh, I had a chance to um, speak with Pastor Mark uh, on the way down here. I uh, picked him up at the airport, and he shared with us all kinds of interesting things. Um, sneezing wolves and uh, screaming caterpillars. I also discovered that he wrote a 350-page dissertation on Isaiah 46. So you can talk to him about that if you'd like. Um, but as our speaker, uh, something a little more pertinent for our time, uh, is he's a, he's a co-founder and executive director of the Novum Institute, whose vision is to see every Christian pursuing all of life as ministry. And so uh, when I read about that or when I heard about that through some uh, mutual friends, uh, I thought that, that's such a great topic for us to think about together as most of you uh, are not in you know, um, ministry. And how do we think about life as ministry or all of life as ministry? And I thought, here's someone who's doing that uh, with his life. And so uh, we're able to uh, book him. And uh, he's recently moved to Tennessee uh, to teach at um, Union University. And so uh, he's here with us to just share with us about what it is to, to think of all of life uh, as ministry. So let's welcome uh, Pastor Mark uh, as he speaks the word to us. if we can get set up here. Hello. Hello. Yes, wonderful. Uh, so based on what uh, Pastor David just told you, um, if it's more like sneezing wolves and screaming caterpillars, then this is going to be a lot of fun and entertaining. If it's more like 350 pages on Isaiah 46, you're going to be bored out of your minds. So I don't know what you're ready to, to get here, but I think it's going to be pretty entertaining. I don't know if I have too much more information about the sneeze, sneezing wolves, other than we're talking about biology, and I was trying to get Lydia excited about biology, and she said, why is that exciting? I was like, well, there's these wolves, apparently, who uh, they decide what they're going to do as a pack based on... Uh, a two-thirds democracy, and they vote by sneezing. Apparently that's real life. Some biologist told me that. He could have been lying, but you'll have to look that up on Google or something. Uh, and the screaming caterpillars, when they're alone, they're these caterpillars with tiny holes, and they, they shrink themselves down, and air goes through the holes, and it calls other creatures to them. It's a sound that's imperceptible to us, but there they are. Part of the beauty of who God is, I think. And now you're already bored to tears. Okay. <laughs> And I thought that would be the exciting stuff. Uh, it is an honor to, to be with you uh, tonight. I recognize some familiar faces. I also recognize a lot that I don't know. Uh, over the course of the weekend, I would like to know more of you, um, both more about individuals and just quantity, more of you, your names. And as little as uh, I might be able to get, I would like to know. One of the reasons that is, is as I'm teaching the word... Uh, I realize the need for the word to hit specific places. And if I don't know you, it's harder to dig, dig deeper down into that, right? And so the more I get to know you, the more I can preach the word to your hearts and not just teach the scriptures generally. And so I'd love to, to be able to do that. 
as Pastor David said, I am passionate about everybody seeing all of life as ministry. Uh, and so tonight, I do want to dive into that. I don't know if we have the slides here or what to do with that. Oh, there it is. Look at that. Oh, we don't want to go there. Okay, there it is. So here, this is uh, tonight, we're, we're going to talk about all of life as ministry for the entire week. And the question I want to answer tonight is simply, why is all of life ministry? Uh, we tend to think when we have this language of ministry. We think of people like Pastor David or maybe even myself, those who teach the word, those who are pastors of churches, your elders maybe, we think of that as ministry, or whatever we do within the walls of the church, or directly for the church, uh, that building and that institution, we think of that as ministry, and I would like to just kind of blow that up, and say that that is not the case. Uh, it is the case that Pastor David does ministry, he's just not the only one who's called to ministry. And there is a unique ministry that we are called to, and I call it the equipping ministry of the church. If you read something like Ephesians 4, that pastors and teachers are called to equip, and what are they called to equip? The saints for the work of ministry. And so I want to cast a vision for you about how all of your life is part of the ministry of God in the world. And so tonight, I want to ask the question, why is that the case? The next several days, we're going to ask how that works. But tonight, I want to make the case that it simply is. So maybe these are already categories for you, but in case they're not, I want to give them to you from the scriptures. Now, I also like this shirt. This is a pretty sweet shirt that I think you'll either have, you have gotten or will get. Uh, and this is your little shirt for... The weekend, and it just says all of life, and it has Revelation 21 5 on it. I love it. I love it. So I'm going to wear this often and think of you when I do, and hopefully remember to pray for you. So, tonight, before we dive into the word, uh, since I've talked enough about wolves and caterpillars and such things, let us pray, and then we can actually read the scriptures and get into that. Father, we are grateful to be able to. Worship with your people. And what, a, what an amazing time to have the youth of this church lead us in worship to declare things like there is no one like you. To declare things like you are making me new. And for me, I'm so grateful to be able to join this body, to be invited to join these people in the worship of you. Because you are king of all of creation. So though I am coming from Memphis, Tennessee, from a different place, I show up here and I can join and worship with your people because you are the God of Memphis, Tennessee, and New Brunswick, New Jersey, and Long Beach Island. So wherever we go, because of our faith in your son, Jesus Christ, and because of the work that you're doing to make all things new, we can join and worship no matter where we are. And so we are grateful for that. We're also grateful that we share this scripture, this word that you have given us to help understand who you are, who we are, what you're doing in the world, and how we can join that work. And so, Father, this weekend we have dedicated to you so that you might move and work in us, so that we might be sent out into the world as ministers of your gospel. And when we put it like that, we realize that there is nothing that we can do toward that end apart from you working in us. And so we ask that you would be here, that you would show up, that your spirit would empower the preaching and teaching of your word, that your spirit would give us ears to hear what you're saying and eyes to see what is in your text and even behold you so that we might become more like you. 
So, Father, we ask for all these things. In the great name of Jesus, amen. Go ahead and open your Bibles, uh, and everyone will need some sort of Bible if you open it, or if you just kind of press the home button and do a thumb thing, and it shows up, and you press an app, and there's a Bible. Whatever it is, get a copy of the Scriptures out. Everybody will need one. And go ahead and open to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. I just want to read a few verses to you, and then I have an activity for you. It's not as cool, I think, as the clay activity, which was awesome. That was incredible. Uh, I love it. I mean, there's so much biblical imagery wrapped up just in that and taking the clay and forming it into something, especially something that you see kind of participating in, in what God is doing to shape and mold us. So Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And then verse 5, the reason the shirt is what it is, and the reason we sang um, that he is making all things new. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This vision in Revelation 21 that, that we're going to unpack in, in pretty good detail here uh, for the rest of the night, this is a vision that has absolutely enraptured my heart. Uh, and I want to present to you just a practical thing before we get into some details and you do this activity. I don't know what your Christian life has been like. I don't know what your life has been like in general. But if it's anything like mine or other believers that I know, then you have wanted to bail on the Christian faith at some point in time. There's been a time where there's been a struggle, there's been a sin, there's been uh, persecution maybe, there's been pressure from outside people, there's been pressure from within, there's been the temptation of the enemy, there's been doubts that that were mentioned before, there's been a temptation, and and the question that we always ask is, is it worth it? Is it really worth it to follow Jesus? This is a question that I've asked several times, and I'm not even really that old probably look older than I actually am. That's just my face. I'm not tired. It's just my face. (laughs) But I have come to ask the question, is it really worth it many times in my life? And I always go to two places. One of the places is I go and read, and I read each crucifixion account of Jesus. To see what it is that God offered in order to be in relationship with me. And I say, yes, it is worth it. And the other place I go is this. I go to this vision of God finally making all things new. Sin is done away with. Pain is done away with. Mourning is done away with. Death is done away with. And he makes his dwelling place with us. And then I ask the question, is it worth going through what I'm going through now? to gain this vision? And the answer is yes. And so I just want to encourage you that part of what you can do with this vision, if you don't get anything else out of tonight, 
is if you're ever in a position, or if you're in a position now of asking, is it worth following Jesus? The answer is yes. And I want to drive you to this text. Okay? Now, here's what I want you to do as an activity. I want you to pair up with somebody. So go ahead and pair up. It's okay? Yes? Now, uh, interestingly, I overheard a conversation that said, I don't have to incentivize you with a reward because you're just competitive people. Yes? Uh, that's the word on the street, at least. Um, and so, uh, this is not a competition, however, so don't go into it. There's no anxiety here. We're just going to look at the scriptures together, you and one other person. And here's what I want you to do. And if you come up with nothing, that is fine. If you come up with a million things, great. Either one is fine. But I just want you to read through Revelation 21, verse 1 to 22.5. And I want you to ask, what is like Genesis 1 to 3 and what is not like it? I just want you to compare those two things. Now, you can have somebody else open Genesis 1 to 3 and you can go back and forth and somebody read that out loud and you read that out loud. But I'm just asking what is like creation and what isn't in the beginning. And what we're doing here is we're setting up a concept. We're setting a concept of the Bible as a story. Okay, The Bible is a story that goes from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 and it is all about one thing in my opinion. And I want to draw that out, and I'm going to have you draw it out for me so that you prove my point, okay? So I want you to look at Revelation 21.1 to 22.5, and I want you to ask, what is like the original creation, and what is not like it? This is just like Sesame Street, right? You take this thing, you take another thing, what is, what is similar and what's different? Which of these is not like the other? So I'm confident, I'm confident that you can do this, okay? So you have your person... You stopped listening to me a long time ago because you got an assignment and you're competitive. And I'm going to put you on the clock for only three minutes. That way you know that you cannot get that much done. Okay? So I've got a timer here. Go. Compare Revelation 21.1 to 22.5 with Genesis 1 to 3. Anything that you see. Anything that you see. Make note of it.
Only one minute and 30 seconds left. What do you got? Thirty seconds. Fifteen seconds. I'm trying to make you as anxious as possible. Ten seconds. Five. One. All right. So what did you come up with? What did you come up with? And everybody will hear it and judge you when you say it. Okay? So no fear. Just go ahead. Did you hear anything that sounded like creation? Yes. And tell me your name when you answer. Danny, and God is in both of them. God is in both of them. Hey, that's good. That's clutch. That is very, very important. Danny says God is in both of them. Uh, we're going to go here. What is your name? Janie. Janie. Okay, God speaks in both. Great. So right, he speaks creation to existence in the beginning. He says, behold, I'm making all things new in the end. Right? Great. That's wonderful. Here, did you, you had your hand raised. Oh, uh, well, there's a tree in both of them. There's tree. There's a tree. Any kind of tree in particular? Okay, so there's a tree of knowledge, good and evil in the garden in Genesis 2. There's tree of life in the end. There's all, the tree of life, is, is it in the beginning as well? Yeah, there's a tree of life and a tree of knowledge, good and evil. Is the tree of the knowledge, good and evil in the new creation? In Revelation. Interesting question. Yes, here, what is your name? Jossie? Yeah. Great. The number seven appears a lot. That's actually super important. Great. This is what I'm talking about. This is great. Yes? One's in the garden and the other is in the city. Okay, so there's a garden in the beginning, and then there's a city that's been built in the end. Wonderful. So we're all just headed to New York. Okay. Yes? You said your name was Jason. Okay, I was like, man, Jason. I don't remember Jason in either Genesis or Revelation. But yes, you were just saying your name. I've read this before. Uh, yes, there's, there's a river in both, right? So there's a river flowing through Eden. There's a river flowing from the throne, right? Running through the city. Great. Others. There's got to be more. Yes. Diane. Great.
So there's uh, heaven and earth created in the beginning. There's a uh, new heaven and new earth, right? In the text that we read, uh, the old heaven and old earth have passed away. Behold, I'm making all things new. He's, he makes a new heaven and new earth. And then what was the second thing you said? You said sin happened, and so death came. Then what was your parallel to that? Oh, there's a second death. Yes, this is the second death. Great. I think it's verse 8, chapter 21. Revelation. Anything else? There, I mean, there's, there's a million other things. So if you have stuff, give it to me. Enoch. What are the few faces that I have known before? Uh, the first one, the spirit is covering over the waters. Yeah. The second one, it says there's no more ocean. Mm-hmm. Seas are no more. If you have to go fishing, which may not be the case, it is more so where I come from, the south. Too bad. These are little jokes that I throw in every now and then. <laughs> So if you think it's supposed to be funny, just laugh. Uh, there was another hand up. Yes. Lena. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in the original creation, you have, uh, let there be light. And there was light, and then... Uh, you have creation of day and night, and then on day one, then day four, you have the separation of that, and you have these things that are given to rule the day and the night, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. And yet, in the new creation, none of that exists, because it doesn't have to, because God himself is the light, and there's no night there, only day. Interesting. Yes. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, so the people, the city is coming down as a bride adorned for her husband. And there's that language also in Revelation 19, right? So you have this uh, marriage imagery. We've given a few marriage homilies, and uh, I always draw upon this. That, that creation is bookended by weddings and, and wedding ceremonies, both in Adam and Eve, and then God with his people in the end. It's pretty, pretty good. So that is not stretching it. That is right there in the text. Anything else? What else do we see? Yes. My name is Han. And Han? Yeah, oh, great. Um, in Genesis, um, the ground is cursed. Yes. Um, mm. So the ground is cursed, right? Uh, other things are cursed in Genesis 3, and yet the curse is done in Revelation 21. It is no longer nothing uh, either that is cursed or will enter, and nor will there be another curse. Great. Anything else? You see, you just, you, you've been so shy up to this point, but you know it's really good, so you just got to put it out there. Who's got it? Yes. Daniel. Yeah, so there's not only does he speak, but things are responding to his speech, right? So he's speaking and then things happen. Very, very important. Let's do one more thing. Anybody got one more thing? That's fine. Anybody ever done this exercise before? Oh, this is a wonderful exercise. Enoch has because I made him do it one time. 
everybody I meet when I first meet you, uh, I didn't do this to the people I met here because we were going to do it here. I'd say, hey, can you open up your Bible real quick? That's not true. Um, But this is a really important exercise. And I can tell you that I've literally done this exercise hundreds of times. Hundreds of times. And I've seen something new in the text every single time. So I encourage you to do this. So why in the world did I just have you do that? First of all, do you see the similarities that are there? Verbal yes, if you do. Verbal no, if you don't. Great. Do you see the differences that are there? Verbal yes, verbal no. So the question is, why is that the case? Now, here's what I'm going to say. Here's my big idea for the weekend, based on everything that you just saw, and then more that I'm going to unpack for you. My big idea for the whole weekend is this. So if you want to write something down, this would be it. God calls, equips, and encourages us to pursue all of life as ministry in His mission to make all things new. Okay, In His mission to make all things new. And so everything that you just pointed out, here's what I'm going to say the point of that is. When we look at the scriptures, if you were to ask, what is the Bible? There's many answers to that question. You could say it's the book uh, that includes the Old and New Testament. You could say it's that old book that I don't know what to do with because it has a whole bunch of crazy stuff in there that I don't understand. It's super strange and seems outdated. Okay? You could say it's the center of my life. You could say it's the covenant text for God's people. You could say it's the book that's all about Jesus. Many of those things would be true. I want to put forward to you that it's a story that from beginning to end tells you that God has always been in the business of making all things new. Because of that, if he is making all things new, and that's his mission, you, wherever you are, are called to participate in that. And anything in your life is ministry within the mission of God. Okay? I'm going to set that up for you tonight, and we're going to unpack it the rest of the weekend. So what you just told me, based on everything that you gave me, is that God is in the business of making all things new. And here's what you told me they didn't even know. He has always been in that business. Even before the fall, God was making all things new. Okay? So let me unpack that for you. I've got some charts. Do you like charts? I, I, I don't, but other people do, they tell me. And so here they are. Creation and new creation. I need to be able to see this. I kind of join you out here a little bit. Not too far so we don't get a squeal. But creation and new creation. Look at this. Now, you, I think so you pointed a little bit of this out to me, right? The purpose of heaven and earth, waters and seas. And this category, I'm just looking at the creation itself. I'm taking humanity out of it for now. But look, here's this. Heaven and earth, waters and seas. Genesis 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Somebody said that. Who said that? Enoch did. Because he's done this before. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, God called the dry land earth and the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Now look at that. At the end of this statement, God calls this good, right? This is part of his good creation that he is making, and yet in Revelation 21 to 22, 5, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And he was seated on the throne and said, Behold, I'm making all things new. So he's signaling that he's making something new, and the sea is no more. Now why in the world would you not want to see? I mean, if you look out at the ocean or you look that way, is that like the bay side or something? 
My wife is not here. I have a wife and four children. Uh, they're nine, seven, five, and three. So if you'd like to pray for my wife this weekend instead of me, that's fine. But if you, I, I looked out here, my room just goes out on this little porch. I look out there in this incredible sunset. And I thought to myself, oh no, should I send a picture to my wife or not? I decided to do it, which turned out to be a mistake. But if you look at it, it's incredibly beautiful, right? Why would we not want the sea to be there? Why in this new creation would the sea not be there? Well, if you read the rest of Revelation, there's something that's not good about the sea. The beast comes out of the sea, right? To destroy his people. In the ancient Near East, when God, when there's other creation narratives, the sea is always the place where there is chaos. It's the thing that threatens to take out God's good creation. And so it's present there in the beginning. It's subdued, but the potential for a threat to God's good order is there. It's gone in the new creation, Okay? So the new creation is better than the first one. It was good. It wasn't bad. But it was, it's better in the new creation. Now look at this. It's the purpose of sun, moon, and stars. Hey, somebody said this, didn't they? Who said this? Who said? Yes. Yeah, the light. So the purpose of sun, moon, and stars. Genesis 1 and 2. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens that separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and days and years. Let them give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. These aren't bad things. These are good things. This is before the fall. You see that? Genesis 1, verse 14, 18. Now look at Revelation 21, 25. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is a lamp. There will be no night there. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. It's better in the new creation. This was good in the original, but it's better... In this one, right? Why is that so significant? Well, there's a typo there. And there will be no night there. And there will be... We had a typo in the words. I loved it. That you were my peach in the storm, I think. That was beautiful. (laughs) I've got one here. And there will be no night there, right? Typos are wonderful things. And there will be no night there. Why is that so significant? In context of what's going on here in Revelation 21, it talks about the gates of the city will be opened during the day and there will be no night there. Why is that so significant? Because again, just like the sea posed a threat, gates represent, closing the gates represent protection from an enemy. Open gates mean that it's safe. And so during the day in an ancient city, you could open the gates because you could see what was coming. At night, you would close the gates to protect yourself from an enemy that you couldn't see. But there's going to be no night there because there's no more enemy to protect you from. They're gone. They're vanquished. The second death has come and it's happened to the enemy. He's been tossed. The lay of burning sulfur has been vanquished for all time. He poses no more threat. The first creation was good. The new creation is better. Purpose of vegetation, tree of life, tree of knowledge of good and evil. Somebody pointed this out. You. You said trees. Yes. There are trees there. Look at this. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that was pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. These are good things. Pleasant. Right? Good for food. Yes, we need food. Right? There's some, there's some veggies and fruit stuff right over there. Uh, that all came off of trees. Yeah? Oranges, apples, bananas. Yes. Bi- I'm a biologist. 
And then in Revelation 21, 25, also on either side of the river, somebody mentioned rivers, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Notice what's absent. The tree of knowledge of good and evil is nowhere to be found in the new creation. The tree of life, I think, significantly is on both sides of the river. Why is this so significant? What was the means by which death came that somebody mentioned? What was the sin? They ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil that God said not to eat from. That capability, that possibility is not there anymore. It is gone. It is eliminated. This new creation that is here is better than the original one. That's why I'm saying God was always headed here. Even before humanity sinned, God was always making all things new. He had a good original creation. It was headed to something that was even better. Do you see that? Do you see why it's important to sit down and say, is it worth it? Yes, because it's better. Because here's what we generally cling to. The first few verses that I read, and this is absolutely beautiful and needs to be clung to, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. All those things represent things that are a result of the curse. The curse has been reversed. The curse has been undone. Everything that is wrong will be made right. Everything that is untrue will be made right. But there's something even better than that. Because here's what Jesus has done, and we normally talk about this, and all this is good. That Jesus has freed us from the penalty of sin now, the power of sin, so that we can live by the Spirit. And in the future, He will he will also vanquish the very presence of sin. But this is telling us something even more about the new creation. And that is in the new creation, also the potential for sin is done away with. And so we don't have to walk around in that new creation. When we receive our resurrected bodies from Jesus and we're walking around, we don't have to wonder, are we going to mess it up? We don't have to wonder, is there something in me that's going to rebel against God and cause everything that is right now that is so beautiful to be undone? It is not a possibility. There's no possibility that an enemy from without side of the new creation, like the serpent outside of the garden coming in. If you notice, he had no power in the garden, right? Until Adam and Eve invited him in, him in and gave him authority there. But that serpent doesn't even exist. Nothing accursed will ever be in there. The serpent is an unclean animal in the Old Testament. And using this language, nothing like that, no unclean thing, no accursed thing will ever enter in from outside. So not from within you will sin mess up this new creation. Not from outside will an enemy mess up this creation. And this is where we're headed. Not only from the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin, but there's no more potential for sin to enter into this new creation. So the question becomes, why in the world did God make the first world to begin with? I think part of the answer biblically, we can get to a whole bunch of philosophy stuff, you can talk to Enoch about that. Biblically, the answer is because he created humanity to join him in the mission to create the new heavens and the new earth. To join him in the mission to take the original good creation and cultivate it from this garden to a city. To join him in this mission to take the garden of Eden and expand it to the ends of the earth. And that's what we see has happened in Revelation 21 and 22. And so it's not just, here's the hope. Here's the hope. It's not just that in the future I'm going to gain this because you will, because of the work of God, for you on the cross. 
in the resurrection of Jesus, in the ascension of Jesus, but also that he is working this now in you because he also sent the Spirit to drive creation there through you. And so when I say that God has always been making things new, when he says, behold, I'm making all things new in the end, it's not the first time that he said that. If you were to read something like 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if you were in Christ, you are a new creation, right? Why can that be the case? Because God has always been in the business of making all things new. And what he does with humanity is he created you to join him in that mission. And if he is making all things new and he asks you to join him, then your life, all of it, is ministry within the mission of God. Now, did I just make that up? Possibly, but it sounds really good. Okay? But I think it's in the text. Let me show it to you. I have more charts. These are helpful, right? Humanity's purpose. Look at this. And I'm going to go through purpose of humanity in creation, the purpose continued under curse, and then into fulfilled in the new creation. Okay? So purpose of humanity, rule over the earth in creation. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion. Then rule of the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and all the creeping things that are on the ground. He gave dominion to people. So we rule over creation as we rule under him. A great little phrase that I learned from a mentor is, we have a dominion over creation, but it is a dominion of dependence. A dominion of dependence. He is the creator of all things. There's no one who rules over him. Jesus is on the throne. There's nobody above him. And yet he invites you to rule over creation under him to continue his mission through your ministry. Now something happened in the curse. And when you look at the curse that happens in Genesis 3, it is directly related to the mission that God gave humanity. To the woman he said, your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. There is a breaking of the relationship between the two people that have been created to be on mission for God. If you remember, do you remember the one thing that God said was not good in creation? Right? You, you have this refrain throughout Genesis 1, at least day 3 and 4, and God looked at all that he made and he said it was good. He looked at everything he made and he said it was good. He looked at everything he made and he said it was good. He looked at everything he made and said it was good. And he looked at everything he made and said it was very good. But in Genesis 2, he says something is not good. What was that thing? For man to be alone. It wasn't good for man to be alone. So he made a woman to join him in the mission that he had. To work the garden and expand it to the ends of the earth. We'll see that here in a second. But here in the curse, what has happened, because they have rebelled against God, disobeyed his word, and given their, their allegiance to another, to the woman he said, your desire shall be for your husband and he will rule over you. Instead of joining a mission together, the struggle that you will have in relationships, especially the marriage relationship, but all relationships in humanity, is to work together in unity toward the mission of God. Now, you probably don't disagree with me because you've probably experienced that. You ever been in a relationship with another human? Yeah? Then you've probably experienced this. Unless you're a lot better than I am, which is possible, but still I think you've probably experienced this. And so we experience this, and yet, what is the hope that even as we experience that, there's a better vision for us in the future? The one who conquers will have this heritage, this ruling idea, and I will be his God, and he will be my son, and they will reign forever. There's a unity that comes back in the people of God and that rule and reign that he desired would be in the, new, in, the, in the original creation will be there in the new creation through the curse. The curse cannot undo the mission of God. 
He is still committed to his purposes in creation, both for his world and for you. And that exists today. And so I believe the scriptures are a story that calls you to a life, all of life is ministry within the mission of God. Now what else do we see here? Oh look, purpose of humanity in Genesis 1, fill the earth. And God blessed them, that is Adam and Eve, or male and female. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. God can have me on a whole bunch of accounts. There's one thing that I have done. I have been fruitful and multiplied. I got four kids, all two years apart. And the Lord showed it to me in a dream and said, you're done. That's not real. I wish it were. The last two were a surprise. He needs to declare things done. It is finished, he needs to say. Right? That's because they're expanding. They're filling the earth. They're taking this Garden of Eden-like presence and they're expanding it to the end of the earth. Now look at the curse. When they disobey God, when they give their allegiance to another, the one who is not the God of life, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Now, I don't, maybe we could have some testimonies. Just hand the mic. Any ladies want to talk about who have had children? There's pain in childbearing. Yes. I've watched four births. There's pain in childbearing. But I actually don't think that this text mainly is talking about the physical pain that happens in childbearing. Because when you read the rest of the Genesis narrative, it never once talks about how painful childbirth is. Although again, I can testify, at least not experientially, but I've seen it, it's painful. Okay? But what is this talking about? It's more so talking about the relationship between Cain and Abel, the brothers that are born. Why would that be the case? Because there was a promise given to Eve that one of her children would crush the head of the serpent, that he would overcome sin and death. And so what the enemy does is he works in relationships within families and brothers and sisters to turn them against each other. And so the pain in childbearing, I think you see, is more so that, as well as throughout the Genesis narrative, there is a barren womb. Those who are seemingly, at least at this point, they think they're unable to participate in the mission of God in a beautiful way. This is the pain that happens. Barren wombs, broken relationships within families. You experience that? I have. And maybe I love this picture of the new creation so much because this just resonates with my life. When I was two, my parents were divorced. Five years ago, my brother died of a heroin overdose. I have an adopted brother. That was him. He died. I have a stepbrother and a half-sister. I have a fractured and broken family. And here's the promise of God given this. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. They will bring into the, the glory and the honor of the nations. There was only two people in the beginning. They have been fruitful and they have multiplied. And God has brought all nations underneath his rule and reign in the new creation. Here's that promise to me in the midst of a broken family. It's not the end. I'm still working through the curse to bring about a new creation. He calls you in every area of your life to join him in mission through your ministry. Purpose of humanity, work. Anybody experienced work not the best? Oh, finally, people resonate. They're like, my family's perfect. No problem there. Marriage, perfect. Children, totally fine. I am perfect, you are perfect, but work, that's the problem, right? I was like, yeah, now we got a scapegoat, it's work. So here, in creation, uh, and the gold of that land is good, bdellium and onyx stone are there. You guys have worked with bdellium and onyx stone, I'm sure. 
Yes? Resonates well? No? Okay. Uh, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So part of his job is just to work in the new creation. A lot of people refer to this as the cultural mandate. And to Adam, he said, continued under curse, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. I think in the culture in which we live, the thing that, we, that is most present to us, usually the thing that we most struggle with because we find work is this really positive thing, is we struggle with this one maybe the most. Some of us do. And we'll unpack that a little bit. But here's this fulfilled in a new creation. The wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold like the clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The fifth, onyx. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Part of the reason, somebody mentioned this. Who mentioned the garden and the city thing? Somebody said, yeah, you did. Part of that building that city in the end is because humanity has done our job of cultivating the ground in which these minerals are. And it's not just an untamed garden anymore. It's been developed into a dwelling place, both for God and for man. Do I have another slide? No, I don't. Good. This vision is why I say, I wanted to set out before you, this is why I say God has always been in the business of making all things new. Everything that we have talked about, a purpose for humanity, all these good things in creation were there before the fall. And yet, everything that we see in the new creation is better than the original one. He has always been in the business of making all things new. And the reason that's the case is because he created you and me. He created humanity with a purpose and said, I want you to join me in taking this original good creation and perfecting it in the new. Sin has unfortunately derailed a direct path from point A to point B. But because, and we'll see this more tomorrow, because of Jesus, especially for us, that path has been redirected and everything runs through him. The purpose of humanity will run through him. The undoing of the curse will run through him. And because of the gift of the Spirit, the purpose of humanity and the undoing of the curse now runs through his people as well, and that is you. And because he created humanity with his purpose to rule over all things, to be fruitful and multiply and cover the earth, and in their work to have this ministry that is the mission of God in the world, there is not a single area of your life in which God is not saying, I'm calling you to join me in making all things new. And so this is not just some cool tagline to say all of life is ministry. Pastor David, I'm so glad that you're called to the ministry, to the equipping ministry of the church. But that's precisely what it is. His job, and my job as a teacher of the scriptures, is to equip you to pursue this through the curse, to undo it by the Spirit so that we can inherit the new creation. And so when we read this text in Revelation 21, verse 5, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's what he's doing, not only then, but he's doing it now. And for the remainder of the weekend, what I hope to be able to do is to unpack exactly how we might be able to join him. And I want to take you through what we're going to do, but I seem to have lost my little pamphlet thing. Can I snag that from you? Thanks. So I want you to look with me through the rest of the weekend that we have, and then I'll be done. You took good notes. Way to go. (laughs) 
so tomorrow, Saturday morning, going to have a quiet time to be able to reflect on all the stuff, what I've just said, and uh, answer some questions about the story of Scripture, be able to let that sink in a little bit more. Saturday morning, tomorrow morning, we'll, we'll have another talk. How can all of life be ministry? This is why is all of life ministry? Because God's making all things new. Therefore, your life is part of that. And so you're all of life, God's calling you to all of life as a ministry and His mission. We're going to look at Luke 24, where Jesus meets with a couple of guys on the road to Emmaus, and He unpacks the Scriptures for them. And I think I'm going to have a surprising twist on this for you. So if you've read this text before, don't think you know what's there. I'm going to change it all. Not the text, but just what you think. <laughs> then we have a workshop. Here's one thing that I'm really excited about uh, that I was asked to do. They asked me if I wanted to do a workshop with you. And I said yes, and here's why. Here's sometimes is what the struggle is. Is we see this and we're like, that's cool, but it doesn't land in my life. I don't know what that looks like for me. And we understand that the scriptures call us to a mission, but there's an there's a unanswered question and we don't know that we have an answer to that. And that is, who am I? And I'll share a little bit of an identity crisis that I had in my life that led me to this workshop. And I'll walk you through what I walk through. And hopefully the Lord will show you similar things to what he showed me. Then we're going to go to 2 Timothy 3, another text that talks about what Scripture does. And God equips us for every good work. And here we're going to get kind of down and dirty with some details about how in the world do I connect who I am, this big story that runs all the way through Jesus, through me to new creation. Now I've got this who I am part. How do I equip myself for this mission? How does God equip me for that in the details of what's going on? And I'm going to give you an outline for how you can do that. Some questions that you can ask of any text of any area of your life. And then we'll head back to the church. And here's what you're going to need at the end of the weekend. You're going to need some encouragement. And so we're going to land on Sunday morning on how can all of life continue to be ministry. Often what happens on retreats is we hear this stuff. We hear from the Word. We worship with the people of God. We fellowship with the people of God. And God does something. We go back and we don't know how to continue what's happened. And so through Romans 15 where it says that all of Scripture was written for our encouragement, we're going to unpack what that means and how we continue all of life as ministry when we get back. Okay? So, big idea for the weekend. I want to come back to it. Beautiful charts. So beautiful. There's so many of them. Am I supposed to point at something? There it is. Here's the big idea that we're looking at this weekend. God calls, equips, and encourages us to pursue all of life as ministry and His mission to make all things new. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. I'm grateful uh, for your people reading your word and, and unpacking it and seeing what is there and seeing uh, many for the first time that, that the Bible really is a story that has a beginning and end and we find ourselves in the middle of it. We know the end of it, but it's still playing out. We find ourselves right dead center in the midst of the story of Scripture itself. And so we open up our, the pages to it we see that you're at work to make all things new. And we see that you're doing that through us. And if we're honest, if I'm honest, many times I have no idea what that means. And so we ask that you would be here this weekend to teach us, to show us what does it mean, at least in one area of our life. How can we be pursuing that area of life as ministry within your mission to make all things new? we find ourselves again grateful for the gift of Jesus and the gift of the Spirit and the gift of your people and your word and teachers 
that help equip us for this mission. And so we entrust all this to you. We want to be a little bit more like Jesus. And so show yourself to us. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.